0: "'Which brings us on to a further matter of some delicacy, "'which I am sure that well-travelled, broad-minded gentlemen such as yourselves "'will have no difficulty in accepting,' he said. "'The hand holding the glass was beginning to shake. "'I hope it will also be understood by the population at large, "'especially since the King will undoubtedly be able to contribute in so many ways "'to the well-being and defence of the city.' For example, I am sure that the people will rest more contentedly in their beds, knowing that the dra- the, 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 the king is tirelessly protecting them from harm. There can, however, be ridiculous, ancient uh, prejudices, which will only be eradicated by ceaseless work on the part of all men of goodwill. He paused and looked at them. And the head assassin said later, that he had looked into the eyes of many men who obviously were very near death, but he had never looked into eyes that were so clearly and unmistakably looking back at him from the slopes of hell. He hoped he would never, he said, ever have to look into eyes like that again. "'I am referring,' said once, each word coming slowly to the surface like bubbles in some quicksand, "'to the matter of the king's diet.' "'There was a terrible silence.' "'They heard the faint rustle of wings behind them, "'and the shadows in the corners of the hall grew darker and seemed to close in. Diet, said the head-thief in a hollow voice. "'Yes,' said Once. "'His voice was almost a squeak. "'Sweat was dripping down his face. "'The head-assassin had once heard the word rictus "'and wondered when you should use it correctly to describe someone's expression, "'and now he knew. "'That was what Once's face had become.' It was the ghastly rictus of someone trying not to hear the words his own mouth was saying. We, er, uh, we thought, said the head assassin very carefully, that the, drag- the 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 king, well, must have been arranging matters for himself over the weeks. Ah, but poor stuff, you know, poor stuff, stray animals and so forth, said once, staring hard at the tabletop. Obviously, as as king, such makeshifts are no longer appropriate. The silence grew and took on a texture. The councillors thought hard, especially about the meal they had just eaten. The arrival of a huge trifle with a lot of cream on it only served to concentrate their minds. Um, said the head merchant, how often is the king hungry? ''All the time,'' said Once, ''but it eats once a month. It is really a ceremonial occasion.'' ''Of course,'' said the head merchant, ''it would be.'' ''And, um,'' said the head assassin, ''when did the king uh, last, um, eat?'' ''I'm sorry to say, it hasn't eaten properly ever since it came here,'' said Once. ''Oh!'' "'You must understand,' said Once, fiddling desperately with his wooden cutlery, "'that merely waylaying people like some common assassin—' "'Excuse me,' the head assassin began. "'Some common murderer. I mean, there is no satisfaction there. "'The whole essence of the king's feeding is that it should be, well, "'an act of bonding between king and subjects. "'It uh, is—it is perhaps—' "'a living allegory, reinforcing the close links "'between the Crown and the community,' he added. "'The precise nature of the meal,' the head thief began, "'almost choking on the words. "'Are we talking about young maidens here?' "'Sheer prejudice,' said once. "'The age is immaterial. "'Marital status is, of course, of importance, and social class. "'Something to do with flavour, I believe.' He leaned forward, and now his voice was pain-filled and urgent, and they felt genuinely his own for the first time. "'Please consider it,' he hissed. "'After all, just one a month, in exchange for so much. "'The families of people of use to the king, privy councillors such as yourselves, "'would not, of course, even be considered. "'And when you think of the alternatives... "'They didn't just think about all the alternatives. "'It was enough to think about just one of them.' The silence purred at them as once talked. They avoided one another's faces for fear of what they might see mirrored there. Each man thought, One of the others is bound to say something soon, some protest, and then I'll murmur agreement, not actually say anything, I'm not as stupid as that, but definitely murmur very firmly, so that the others will be in no doubt that I thoroughly disapprove, because at a time like this it behooves all decent men to nearly stand up and be... Almost heard. But no one said anything. The cowards, each man thought. And no one touched the pudding, or the brick thick chocolate mints served afterwards. They just listened in flushed, gloomy horror, as once his voice droned on, and when they were dismissed, they tried to leave as separately as possible, so that they didn't have to talk to one another. Except for the head merchant, that is. He found himself leaving the palace with the chief assassin, and they strolled side by side, minds racing. The chief merchant tried to look on the bright side. He was one of those men who organise sing-songs when things go drastically wrong. Well, well, he said. So, we're privy councillors now. Just fancy. Hmm, said the assassin. I wonder what's the difference between ordinary councillors and privy counsellors, wondered the merchant aloud. The assassin scowled at him. I think, he said, it is because you're expected to eat shit. He turned the glare back on its feet again. What kept going through his mind were Once's last words as he shook the secretary's limp hand. He wondered if anyone else had heard them. Unlikely. They'd been a shape rather than a sound. Once had simply moved his lips around them while staring fixedly at the assassin's moon-tanned face. Help me. The assassin shivered. Why him? As far as he could see, there was only one kind of help he was qualified to give, and very few people ever asked for it for themselves. In fact, they usually paid large sums for it to be given as a surprise present to other people. He wondered what was happening to Wants that made any alternative seem better. Once sat alone in the dark, ruined hall, waiting. He could try running, but it would find him again. It would always be able to find him. It could smell his mind. Or it would flame him. That was worse, just like the Brethren. Perhaps it was an instantaneous death. It looked an instantaneous death. But once lay awake at night, wondering whether those last microseconds somehow stretched to a subjective, white-hot eternity. Every tiny part of your body a mere smear of plasma, and you there, alive, in the middle of it all. Not you. I would not flame you. It wasn't telepathy. As far as Once had always understood it, telepathy was like hearing a voice in your head. This was like hearing a voice in your body. His whole nervous system twanged to it like a bow. Rise! Once jerked to his feet, overturning the chair and banging his legs on the table. When that voice spoke, he had as much control over his body as water had over gravity. Come! Come! Once lurched across the floor. The wings unfolded slowly with the occasional creak until they filled the hall from side to side. The tip of one smashed a window and stuck out into the afternoon air. The dragon slowly, sensuously stretched out its neck and yawned. When it had finished, it brought its head round until it was a few inches in front of Once's face. What does voluntary mean? It uh, it means doing something of your own free will said once but they have no free will they will increase my hoard, or i will flame them once gulped yes he said but you mustn't uh, the silent roar of fury spun him round There is nothing I mustn't. No, 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 squeaked once, clutching his head. I didn't mean that. Believe me, this way is better, that's all, better and safer. None can defeat me. This is certainly the case. None can control me. Once flung up his finger-spread hands in a conciliatory fashion. Of course, of course, he said, but there are ways and ways, you know, ways and ways. All the roaring and flaming, you see, you, you, you don't need it. Foolish ape! How else can I make them do my bidding? Once put his hands behind his back. They'll do it of their own free will, he said, and in time they'll come to believe it was their own idea. It'll be a tradition. Take it from me. We humans are adaptable creatures. The dragon gave him a long blank stare. In fact, said once, trying to keep the trembling out of his voice, before too long, if someone comes along and tells them that a dragon king is a bad idea, they'll kill him themselves. The dragon blinked. For the first time, Once could remember, it seemed uncertain. "'I know people, you see,' said Once, simply. The dragon continued to pin him with its gaze. "'If you are lying,' it thought eventually, "'you know I can't, not to you.' "'And they really act like this?' "'Oh, yes, all the time.' It's a basic human trait. Once knew the dragon could read at least the upper levels of his mind. They resonated in terrible harmony, and he could see the mighty thoughts behind the eyes in front of him. The dragon was horrified. I'm sorry, said Once weakly. That's just how we are. It's all to do with survival, I think. There will be no mighty warriors sent to kill me, it thought almost plaintively. I don't think so. No heroes? Not any more. They cost too much. But I will be eating people, once whimpered. He felt the sensation of the dragon rummaging around in his mind, trying to find a clue to understanding. He half saw, half sensed the flicker of random images of dragons, of the mythical age of reptiles. And here he felt the dragon's genuine astonishment of some of the less commendable areas of human history, which were most of it. And after the astonishment came the baffled anger. There was practically nothing the dragon could do to people that they had not sooner or later tried on one another, often with enthusiasm. You have the effrontery to be squeamish, it thought at him. "'But we were dragons. We were supposed to be cruel, cunning, heartless, and terrible. "'But this much I can tell you, you ape!' "'The great face pressed even closer so that once was staring into the pitiless depths of his eyes. "'We never burned and tortured and ripped one another apart and called it morality.' The dragon stretched its wings again, once or twice, and then dropped heavily onto the tawdry assortment of mildly precious things. Its claws scrabbled at the pile. It sneered. A three-legged lizard wouldn't hoard this lot, it thought. There will be better things, whispered once, temporarily relieved at the change in direction. There had better be. Can I, once hesitated, can I ask you a question? Ask. You don't need to eat people, surely? I think that's the only problem from people's point of view, you see, he added, his voice speeding up to a gabble. The treasure and everything, that doesn't have to be a problem, but if it's just a matter of, well, well, protein, then perhaps it has occurred to a powerful intellect such as your own that something less controversial, "'Like a cow might—' "'The dragon breathed a horizontal streak of fire "'that calcined the opposite wall. "'Need? Need?' it roared when the sound had died away. "'You talk to me of need. "'Isn't it the tradition that the finest flower of womanhood "'should be sent to the dragon to ensure peace and prosperity?' "'But, you see, we have always been moderately peaceful and reasonably prosperous.' "'Do you want this state of affairs to continue?' "'The force of the thought drove once to his knees. "'Of course,' he managed. "'The dragon stretched its claws luxuriantly. "'Then the need is not mine. It is yours,' it thought.' Now get out of my sight. Once sagged as it left his mind. The dragon slithered over the cut-price hoard, leapt up onto the ledge of one of the hall's big windows and smashed the stained glass with its head. The multicoloured image of a city father cascaded into the other debris below. The long neck stretched out into the early evening air and turned like a seeking needle. Lights were coming on across the city. The sound of a million people being alive made a muted, deep thrumming. The dragon breathed deeply, joyfully. Then it hauled the rest of its body onto the ledge, shouldered the remains of the window's frame aside, and leapt into the sky. What is it? said Nobby. It was vaguely round, of a woodish texture, and when struck made a noise like a ruler plucked over the edge of a desk. Sergeant Colon tapped it again. I give in, he said. Carrot proudly lifted it out of the battered packaging. It's a cake, he said, shoving both hands under the thing and raising it with some difficulty. From my mother. He managed to put it on the table without trapping his fingers. Can you eat it? said Nobby. It's taken months to get here. You'd think it would go stale. Oh, it's to a special dwarfish recipe, said Carrot. Dwarfish cakes don't go stale. Sergeant Colon gave it another sharp rap. I suppose not, he conceded. "'It's incredibly sustaining,' said Carrot. "'Practically magical. "'The secret has been handed down from dwarf to dwarf for centuries. "'One tiny piece of this and you won't want anything to eat all day.' "'Get away,' said Colon. "'A dwarf can go hundreds of miles with a cake like this in his pack,' Carrot went on. "'I bet he can,' said Colon gloomily. "'I bet all the time he'd be thinking, "'Bloody hell, I hope I can find something else to eat soon. "'Otherwise it's the bloody cake again.' "'Carrot, to whom the word irony meant something to do with metal, "'picked up his pike, and after a couple of impressive rebounds "'managed to cut the cake into approximately four slices. "'There we are,' he said cheerfully, "'one for each of us, and one for the captain.' "'He realised what he had said. "'Oh, sorry.' "'Yes,' said Colon flatly. "'They sat in silence for a moment. "'I liked him,' said Carrot. "'I'm sorry he's gone.' "'There was a more silence.' "'very similar to the earlier silence, but even deeper and more furrowed with depression. "'I expect you'll be made captain now,' said Carrot. "'Colon started. "'Me? I don't want to be captain. "'I can't do the thinking. "'It's not worth all that thinking just for another nine dollars a month.' "'He drummed his fingers on the table. "'Is that all he got?' said Nobby. "'I thought officers were rolling in it.' Nine dollars a month,' said Colon. "'I saw the peace scales once. Nine dollars a month and two dollars plumes allowance.' only he never claimed that bit. Funny, really. He wasn't the plumes type, said Nobby. You're right, said Colon. The thing about the captaincy, I read this book once. You know we've all got alcohol in our bodies, sort of natural alcohol. Even if you never touch a drop in your life, your body sort of makes it anyway. But Captain Vimes, see, he's one of those people whose body doesn't do it naturally. Like he was born two drinks below normal. Gosh, said Carrot. Yeah, so when he's sober, he's really sober. "'Nerd, they call it. "'You know how you feel when you wake up "'if you've been on the piss all night, Nobby? "'Well, he feels like that all the time.' "'Poor bugger,' said Nobby. "'I never realised. "'No wonder he's always so gloomy. "'So he's always trying to catch up, see? "'It's just that he doesn't always get the dose right. "'And, of course,' Colon glanced at Carrot, "'he was brung low by a woman. "'Mind you, just about anything brings him low. "'So what do we do now, Sergeant?' Said Nobby. And you think he'd mind if we eat his cake? said Carrot, wistfully. It'd be a shame to let it go stale. Colon shrugged. The older men sat in miserable silence as Carrot macerated his way through the cake like a bucket wheel rock crusher in a chalk pit. Even if it had been the lightest of souffles, they wouldn't have had any appetite. They were contemplating life without the captain. It was going to be bleak, even without dragons. Say what you liked about Captain Vimes, he'd had style. It was cynical, black-nailed style, but he'd had it and they didn't. He could read long words and add up. Even that was style of a sort. He even got drunk in style. They'd been trying to drag the minutes out, trying to stretch out the time. But the night had come. There was no hope for them. They were going to have to go out on the streets. It was six clock, and all wasn't well. I miss Errol too, said Carrot. "'He was the captain's, really,' said Nobby. "'Anyway, Lady Remkin'll know how to look after him.' "'It's not as though we could leave anything around, either,' said Colon. "'I mean, even the lamp oil even drank the lamp oil.' "'And mothballs,' said Nobby. "'A whole box of mothballs. "'Why would anyone want to eat mothballs? "'And the kettle, and the sugar. "'He was a devil for sugar.' "'He was nice, though,' said Carrot. "'Friendly.' "'Oh, I'll grant you,' said Colon. "'But it's not right, really.' A pet where you have to jump beside a table every time it hiccups. "'I shall miss his little face,' said Carrot. Nobby blew his nose loudly. It was echoed by a hammering on the door. Colon jerked his head. Carrot got up and opened it. A couple of members of the palace guard were waiting with arrogant impatience. They stepped back when they saw Carrot, who had to bend a bit to see under the lintel. Bad news like Carrot travels fast. ''We've brung you a proclamation,'' said one of them. ''You've got to...'' ''What's all that fresh paint on your breastplate?'' said Carrot, politely. Nobby and the sergeant peered around at him. ''It's a dragon,'' said the younger of the guards. ''The dragon,'' corrected his superior. ''Here I know you,'' said Nobby. ''You're Scully Maltoon. Used to live in Mincing Street. Your mum made cough sweets, didn't she, and fell in the mixture and died.'' "'I never have a cough, sweet, but I think of your mum.' "'Hello, Nobby,' said the guard, without enthusiasm. "'I bet your old mum would be proud of you. "'You with a dragon on your vest?' said Nobby, conversationally. "'The guard gave him a look made of hatred and embarrassment. "'And new plumes on your hat, too,' Nobby added sweetly. "'This here is a proclamation what you are commanded to read,' said the guard loudly, "'and post up on street corners also, by order.' ''Whose?'' said, Nobby? Sergeant Colon grabbed the scroll in one ham-like fist. Whereas he read slowly, tracing the lettering with a hesitant finger, "It hath pleased said, the dererger, the the dragon, ker e, king of kings, and aberesler, sweat." "'beaded on the broad pink cliff of his forehead. "'Absolute, that er "'R-er-ler-er-r-ruler uh, uh, of... "'He lapsed into the tortured silence of academia, "'his fingertip jerking slowly down the parchment. "'No,' he said at last. "'That's not right, is it? "'It's not going to eat someone?' "'Consume,' said the older guard. "'It's all part of the social... Uh, social contract.' "'said his assistant, woodenly. "'A small price to pay, I'm sure you will agree, "'for the safety and protection of the city.' "'From what?' said Nobby. "'We've never had an enemy we couldn't bribe or corrupt.' "'Until now,' said Colon, darkly. "'You catch on fast,' said the guard. "'So you're going to broadcast it, on pain of pain.' "'Carrot peered over Colon's shoulder. "'What's a virgin?' he said. "'An unmarried girl.' "'said Colon quickly. "'What, like my friend Reet?' said Carrot, horrified. "'Well, no,' said Colon. "'She's not married, you know. "'None of Mrs. Palms' girls are married.' "'Well, yes.' "'Well, then,' said Carrot, with an air of finality, "'we're not having any of that kind of thing, I hope.' "'People won't stand for it,' said Colon. "'You mark my words.' "'The guards stepped back out of range of Carrot's rising wrath.' They can please themselves, said the senior guard, but if you don't proclaim it, you can try explaining things to his majesty. They hurried off. Nobby darted out into the street. Dragon on your vest, he shouted. If your old mum knew about this, she'd turn in her vat. You going round with a dragon on your vest? Colon wandered back to the table and spread out the scroll. Bad business, he mumbled. ''It's already killed people,'' said Carrot, ''contrary to sixteen separate acts in council.'' ''Well, yes, but that was just like, you know, the hurly-burly of this and that,'' said Colon. ''Not that it wasn't bad, I mean, but people sort of participating, just handing over some slip of a girl and standing round watching as if it's all proper and legal, that's much worse.'' ''I reckon it all depends on your point of view,'' said Nobby thoughtfully. ''What do you mean?'' "'Well, from the point of view of someone being burned alive, "'it probably doesn't matter very much,' said Nobby philosophically. "'People won't stand for it,' I said, said Colon, ignoring this. "'You'll see. They'll march on the palace. "'And what will the dragon do then, eh?' "'Burn em all,' said Nobby promptly. "'Colon looked puzzled. "'It wouldn't do that, would it?' he said. "'Don't see what's to prevent it, do you?' said Nobby. "'He glanced out of the doorway.' He was a good lad, that boy. Used to run errands for my granddad. Who'd have thought he'd go round with a dragon on his chest? What are we going to do, Sergeant? said Carrot. I don't want to be burned alive, said Sergeant Colon. My wife would give me hell. So I suppose we got to, whats the name proclaim it. But don't worry, lad, he said, patting Carrot on one muscular arm and repeating, as if he hadn't quite believed himself for the first time, it won't come to that. People will never stand for it. Lady Ramkin ran her hands over Errol's body. Damned if I know what's going on in there, she said. The little dragon tried to lick her face. What's he been eating? The last thing, I think, was a kettle, said Vimes. A kettle of what? No, a kettle, a black thing with a handle and a spout. He sniffed it for ages, then he ate it. Errol grinned weakly at him and belched. They both ducked. "'Oh, and then we found him eating soot out of the chimney,' Vimes went on, "'as their heads rose again over the railings. "'They leaned back over the reinforced bunker "'that was one of Lady Ramkin's bay pens. "'It had to be reinforced. "'Usually one of the first things a sick dragon did "'was lose control of its digestive processes. "'He doesn't look sick, exactly,' she said. "'Just fat. "'He whines a lot, and you could sort of see things moving under his skin.' You know what I think? You know you said they could rearrange their digestive system. Oh, yes, all the stomachs and pancreatic crackers can be hooked up in various ways, you see, to take advantage of whatever they can find to make flame with, said Vimes. Yes, I think he's trying to make some sort of very hot flame. He wants to challenge the big dragon. Every time it takes to the air, he just sits there whining. And doesn't explode? Not that we've noticed. I mean, I'm sure if he did, we'd spot it. He just eats indiscriminately. Hard to be sure. He sniffs everything and eats most things. Two gallons of lamp oil, for example. Anyway, I can't leave him down there. We can't look after him properly. It's not as if we need to find out where the dragon is now, he added bitterly. I think you're being a bit silly about all this, she said, leading the way back to the house. Silly? I was sacked in front of all those people. Yes, but it was all a misunderstanding, I'm sure. I didn't misunderstand it. "'Well, I think you're just upset because you're impotent.' "'Vimes' eyes bulged. "'What?' he said. "'Against the dragon,' Lady Ramkin went on, quite unconcerned. "'You can't do anything about it.' "'I reckon this damn city and the dragon just about deserve one another,' said Vimes. "'People are frightened. "'You can't expect much of people when they're so frightened.' "'She touched him gingerly on his arm. "'It was like watching an industrial robot being expertly manipulated to grasp an egg gently.' "'Not everyone's as brave as you,' she added, timidly. "'Me? The other week, when you stopped them killing my dragons?' "'Oh, that! That's not bravery. "'Anyway, that was just people. People are easier. "'I'll tell you one thing for nothing. "'I'm not looking up that dragon's nose again. "'I wake up at days thinking about that.' "'Oh,' she seemed deflated. "'Well, if you're sure. "'I've got a lot of friends, you know. "'If you need any help, you've only got to say.' "'The Duke of stowe is looking for a guard, Captain, I'm sure. "'I'll write you a letter. You'll like them. "'They're a very nice young couple.' "'I'm not sure what I shall do next,' said Vimes, more gruffly than he intended. "'I'm considering one or two offers.' "'Well, of course, I'm sure you know best,' Vimes nodded. "'Lady Ramkin twisted her handkerchief around and round in her hands. "'Well, then,' she said. "'Well,' said Vimes, "'I uh, expect you'll be wanting to be off, then.' "'Yes, I expect I had better be going.' "'There was a pause. "'Then they both spoke at once. "'It's been very... I'd just like to say... "'Sorry. Sorry. No, you were speaking. "'No, sorry. You were saying... "'Oh!' Vimes hesitated. "'I'll be off, then.' "'Oh, yes.' "'Lady Ramkin gave him a washed-out smile.' can't keep all these offers waiting, can you?' she said. "'She thrust out a hand. Vimes shook it carefully. "'So I'll just be going, then,' he said. "'Do call again,' said Lady Ramkin, more coldly, "'if you are ever in this area, and so on. "'I'm sure Errol would like to see you.' "'Yes. Well, goodbye, then. "'Goodbye, Captain Vimes.' He stumbled out of the door and walked hurriedly down the dark, overgrown path. He could feel her gaze on the back of his neck as he did so, or at least he told himself that he could. She'd be standing in the doorway, nearly blocking out the light, just watching me. But I'm not going to look back, he thought. That would be a really silly thing to do. I mean, she's a lovely person. She's got a lot of common sense and an enormous personality. But really, I'm not going to look back even if she stands there while I walk all the way down the street. Sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind.' So when he heard the door shut, when he was only halfway down the drive, he suddenly felt very, very angry, as if he'd just been robbed. He stood still and clasped and unclasped his hands in the darkness. He wasn't Captain Vimes any more, he was Citizen Vimes, which meant that he could do things he'd once never dreamt of doing. Perhaps he could go and smash some windows. No, that wouldn't be any good. He wanted more than that to get rid of that bloody dragon, to get his job back, to get his hands on whoever was behind all this, to forget himself just once and hit someone until he was exhausted. He stared at nothing. Down below the city was a mass of smoke and steam. He wasn't thinking of that, though. He was thinking of a running man, and further back in the fuddled mists of his life, a boy running to keep up. And under his breath he said, ''Any of them get out?'' Sergeant Colon finished the proclamation and looked around at the hostile crowd. "'Don't blame me,' he said. "'I just read the things. I don't write them.'" "'That's a human sacrifice, that is,' said someone. "'There's nothing wrong with human sacrifice,' said a priest. "'Ah, per se,' said the first speaker quickly, "'for proper religious reasons and using condemned criminals and so on.'" A number of religions in Arkmorepork still practised human sacrifice, except that they didn't really need to practise any more because they had got so good at it. City law said that only condemned criminals could be used, but that was all right because in most of the religions, refusing to volunteer for sacrifice was an offence punishable by death. But that's different from bunging someone to a dragon just because it's feeling peckish. That's the spirit, said Sergeant Colon. Taxes is one thing, but eating people is another. Well said. If we all say we won't put up with it, what can the dragon do? Nobby opened his mouth. Colon clamped a hand over it and raised a triumphant fist in the air. It's just what I've always said, he said. The people united can never be ignited. There was a ragged cheer. Hang on a minute, said a small man slowly. As far as we know, the dragon's only good at one thing. It flies around the city setting fire to people. I'm not actually certain what is being proposed that would stop it doing this. Yes, but if we all protest, said the first speaker, his voice modulated with uncertainty. It can't burn everybody, said Colon. He decided to play his new ace again, and added proudly, The people united can never be ignited. There was rather less of a cheer this time. People were reserving their energy for worrying. I'm not exactly sure I understand why not. Why can't it burn everyone and fly off to another city? Because... The horde, said Colon, it needs people to bring it treasure. Yeah! Well, maybe, but how many exactly? What? What? "'How many people out of the whole city, I mean? "'Perhaps it won't need to burn the whole city down, just some bits. "'Do we know what bits?' "'Look, this is getting silly,' said the first speaker. "'If we go around looking at the problems the whole time, we'll never do anything.' "'It just pays to think things through first, that's all I'm saying, "'such as what happens even if we beat the dragon.' "'Oh, come on,' said Sergeant Colon. "'No, seriously, what's the alternative?' "'A human being, for a start.' "'Please yourself,' said the little man primly, "'but I reckon one person a month is pretty good "'compared to some rulers we've had. "'Anyone remember Nurse the Lunatic? "'Or Giggling Lord Smintz and his Laugh-a-Minute Dungeon?' "'There was a certain amount of mumbling, "'of the he 'He's got a point variety.' "'But they got overthrown,' said Colon. "'No, they didn't. They were assassinated.' "'Same thing,' said Colon. "'I mean, no one's going to assassinate the dragon.' "'It'd take more than a dark night and a sharp knife to see it off. I know that.' "'I can see what the captain means,' he thought. "'No wonder he always has a drink after he thinks about things. "'We always beat ourselves before we even start. "'Give any ankh pork man a big stick, and he'll end up clubbing himself to death.' "'Look here, you mealy-mouthed little twerp,' said the first speaker, "'picking up the little one by his collar and curling his free hand into a fist.' i happen to have three daughters and i happen to not want any of them et thank you very much yes and the people united will never be Colan's voice faltered he realized that the rest of the crowd were all staring upward the bugger he thought as rationality began to drain away it must have flannel feet The dragon shifted its position on the ridge of the nearest house, flapped its wings once or twice, yawned, and then stretched its neck down into the street. The man, blessed with daughters, stood with his fist upraised, in the centre of a rapidly expanding circle of bare cobbles. The little man wriggled out of his frozen grasp and darted into the shadows. It suddenly seemed that no man in the entire world was so lonely and without friends. ''I see,'' he said quietly. He scowled up at the inquisitive reptile. In fact, it didn't seem particularly belligerent. It was looking at him with something approaching interest. "'I don't care,' he shouted, his voice echoing from wall to wall in the silence. "'We defy you. If you kill me, you might as well kill all of us.' There was some uneasy shuffling of feet amongst those sections of the crowd who didn't feel that this was absolutely axiomatic. ''We can resist you, you know,'' growled the man. ''Can't we, everyone? What was that slogan about being united, Sergeant?'' ''Ehm,'' said Colon, feeling his spine turn to ice. ''I warn you, Dragon, the human spirit is...'' They never found out what it was, or at least what he thought it was, although possibly in the dark hours of a sleepless night some of them might have remembered the subsequent events and formed a pretty good and gut-churning insight to wit that one of the things sometimes forgotten about the human spirit is that while it is, in the right conditions, noble and brave and wonderful, it is also, when you get right down to it, only human. The dragon flame caught him full on the chest. For a moment he was visible as a white-hot outline before the neat black remains spiralled down into a little puddle of melting cobbles. The flame vanished. The crowd stood like statues, not knowing if it was staying put or running that would attract more attention. The dragon stared down, curious to see what they were going to do next. Colon felt that, as the only civic official present, it was up to him to take charge of the situation. He coughed. <clears throat> right then, he said, trying to keep the squeak out of his voice. If you'd just move along there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, move along now, move along. Let's be having you, please. He waved his arms in a vague gesture of authority as the people shuffled nervously away. Out of the corner of his eye he saw red flames behind the rooftops and sparks spiralling in the sky. "'Haven't you got any homes to go to?' he croaked. The librarian knuckled out into the library of the here and now. Every hair on his body bristled with rage. He pushed open the door and swung out into the stricken city. Someone out there was about to find their worst nightmare was a maddened librarian, with a badge.' The dragon swooped leisurely back and forth over the nighttime city, barely flapping its wings. It didn't need to. The thermals were giving it the lift it needed. There were fires all over Ankh-Morpork. So many bucket chains had formed between the river and various burning buildings that buckets were getting misdirected and hijacked. Not that you really needed a bucket to pick up the turbid waters of the river Ankh. A net was good enough. Downstream, teams of smoke-stained people worked feverishly to close the huge, corroded gates under the brass bridge. They were Ankh Morpork's last defence against fire. Since then, the Ankh had no outlet and gradually, oozingly, filled the space between the walls. A man could suffocate under it. The workers on the bridge were the ones who couldn't or wouldn't run. Many others were teeming through the gates of the city and heading out across the chilly, mist-wreathed plains, but not for long. The dragon, looping and curving gracefully above the devastation, glided out over the walls. After a few seconds, the guards saw actinic flame stab down through the mists. The tide of humanity flowed back, with the dragon hovering over it like a sheepdog. The fires of the stricken city glowed redly off the underside of its wings. "'Got any suggestions about what we do next, Sergeant?' said Nobby. Colon didn't reply. "'I wish Captain Vimes were here,' he thought. He wouldn't have known what to do, either, but he's got a much better vocabulary to be baffled in. Some of the fires went out as the rising waters and the confused tangle of fire chains did their work. The dragon didn't appear to be inclined to start any more. It had made its point. "'I wonder who it'll be,' said Nobby. "'What?' said Carrot. "'The sacrifice, I mean.' "'Sergeant said people wouldn't put up with it,' said Carrot, stoically. "'Yeah, well... Look at it this way, if you say to people, What's it to be? Either your house burned down around you, or some girl you probably never met being eaten, well they might get a bit thoughtful, you know, human nature, see. I'm sure a hero will turn up in time, said Carrot, with some new sort of weapon or something, and strike at its vulnerable spot. There was a silence of sudden intense listening. What's one of them? said Nobby. A spot Where it's vulnerable. My grandad used to tell me stories. Hit a dragon in it's vulnerables, he said, and you've killed it. Like kicking it in the wasp names, said Nobby, interestedly. Don't know, I suppose so. Although, Nobby, I've told you before, it is not right to... And where's the spot like? Oh, a different place on each dragon. You wait till it flies over and then you say, there's the vulnerable spot and then you kill it, said Carrot. Something like that. Sergeant Colon stared blankly into space. ''Hmm,'' said Nobby. They watched the panorama of panic for a while. Then Sergeant Colon said, Are you sure about the vulnerables?'' ''Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wish you hadn't been, lad.'' They looked at the terrified city again. ''You know,'' said Nobby, ''you always told me you used to win prizes for archery in the army, Sergeant. ''You said you had a lucky arrow.'' You always made sure you got your lucky arrow back. You said you... All right, all right. But this isn't the same thing, is it? Anyway, I'm not a hero. Why should I do it? Captain Vimes pays us $30 a month, said Carrot. Yes, said Nobby, grinning. And you get $5 extra responsibility allowance. But Captain Vimes has gone, said Colon wretchedly. Carrot looked at him sternly. I am sure, he said, that if he were here, he'd be the first to... Colon waved him into silence. That's all very well, he said, but what if I miss? Look on the bright side, said Nobby. You'll probably never know it. Sergeant Colon's expression mutated into an evil, desperate grin. We'll never know it, you mean, he said. What? If you think I'm standing on some rooftop on my you can think again. I order you to accompany me. ''Anyway,'' he added, ''you get one dollar responsible of the allowance, too.'' Nobby's face twisted in panic. ''No, I don't,'' he croaked. ''Captain Vimes said he was docking it for five years for being a disgrace to the species.'' ''Well, you may just get it back. Anyway, you know all about vulnerables. I've watched you fate.'' Carrot saluted smartly. ''Permission to volunteer, sir,'' he said. ''And I only get twenty dollars a month training pay, and I don't mind at all, sir.'' Sergeant Colon cleared his throat. Then he straightened the hang of his breastplate. It was one of those with astonishingly impressive pectoral muscles embossed on it. His chest and stomach fitted into it the same way a jelly fits into a mould. What would Captain Vimes do now? Well, he'd have a drink. But if he didn't have a drink, what would he do? What we need, he said slowly, is a plan. That sounded good. That sentence alone sounded worth the pay. If you had a plan, you were halfway there. And already he thought he could hear the cheering of crowds. They were lining the streets and they were throwing flowers, and he was being carried triumphantly through the grateful city. The drawback was, he suspected, that he was being carried in an urn. Lupine once padded along the draughty corridors to the patrician's bedroom. It had never been a sumptuous apartment at best, and contained little more than a narrow bed and a few battered cupboards. "'It looked even worse now, with one wall gone. "'Sleepwalk at night now, "'and you could step right into the vast cavern "'that was the great hall.' "'Even so, he shut the door behind him "'for a semblance of privacy. "'Then, cautiously and with many nervous glances "'at the great space beyond, "'he knelt down in the centre of the floor "'and pried up a board. "'A long black robe was dragged into view, "'then once reached further down "'into the dusty space between the floors "'and rummaged around. "'He rummaged still further.' "'Then he lay down and stuck both arms into the gap and flailed desperately. "'A book sailed across the room and hit him in the back of the head. "'Looking for this, were you?' said Vimes. "'He stepped out of the shadows. "'Once was on his knees, his mouth opening and shutting. "'What's he going to say?' Vimes thought. "'Is it going to be, I know what this looks like, "'or will it be, how did you get in here? "'Or maybe it'll be, listen, I can explain everything.' "'I wish I had a loaded dragon in my hands right now.' "'Once said, "'Okay, clever of you to guess.' "'Of course, that was always an outside chance,' Vimes added. "'Under the floorboards,' he said aloud. "'First place anyone had look. "'Rather foolish, that was.' "'I know, I suppose he didn't think anyone would be searching,' "'said Once, standing up and brushing the dust off himself. "'I'm sorry,' said Vimes pleasantly. "Veterinary." "'You know how he was for scheming and things. "'He was involved in most of the plots against himself. "'That was how he ran things. "'He enjoyed it. "'Obviously he called it up and couldn't control it, "'something even more cunning than he was.' "'So what were you doing?' said Vimes. "'I wondered if it might be possible to reverse the spell, "'or maybe call up another dragon. "'They'd fight, then.' "'A sort of balance of terror, you mean?' said Vimes.' "'Could be worth a try,' said Once, earnestly. "'He took a few steps closer. "'Look, about your job. "'I know we were both a bit overwrought at the time, "'so of course if if you want it back there'll be no problem.' "'It must have been terrible,' said Vimes. "'Imagine what must have gone through his mind. "'He called it up and then found it wasn't just some sort of tool "'but a real thing with a mind of its own. "'A mind just like his, but with all the brakes off. "'You know.' "'I wouldn't mind betting that at the start "'he really thought that what he was doing was all for the best. "'He must have been insane. "'Sooner or later, anyway.' "'Yes,' said Once, hoarsely. "'It must have been terrible. "'Ye gods, but I'd like to get my hands on him. "'All those years I've known the man and I'd never realized." "'Once said nothing. "'Run,' said Vimes, softly. "'What?' "'Run. "'I want to see you run.' ''I don't understand. I saw someone run away the night the dragon flamed that house. ''I remember thinking at the time that he moved in a funny way, sort of bounding along, ''and then the other day I saw you running away from the dragon. ''Could have almost been the same man, I thought, skipping almost, like someone running to keep up. ''Any of them get out once?'' ''Once waved a hand in what he might have thought was a nonchalant way. ''That's just ridiculous. That's not proof.'' he said. I noticed you sleep in here now, said Vimes. I suppose the king likes to have you handy, does he? You've got no proof at all, whispered once. Of course I haven't. The way someone runs, the eager tone of voice, that's all. But that doesn't matter, does it? Because it wouldn't matter even if I did have proof, said Vimes. There's no one to take it to, and you can't give me my job back. I can, said once, I can, and you needn't just be captain. You can't give me my job back, repeated Vimes. It was never yours to take away. I was never an officer of the city, or an officer of the king, or an officer of the patrician. I was an officer of the law. It might have been corrupted and bent, but it was law of a sort. There isn't any law now, except you'll get burned alive if you don't watch out. "'Where's the place in there for me?' "'Once darted forward and grabbed him by the arm. "'But you can help me,' he said. "'There may be a way to destroy the dragon, you see. "'Or at least we can help people, "'channel things to mitigate the worst of it, "'somehow find a meeting point.' "'Vimes's blow caught Once on the cheek and spun him around. "'The dragon's here,' he snapped. "'You can't channel or persuade it or negotiate with it. "'There's no truce with dragons.' You brought it here and we're stuck with it, you bastard. Once lowered his hand from the bright white mark where the punch had connected. What are you going to do? he said. Vimes didn't know. He'd thought of a dozen ways that the thing could go, but the only one that was really suitable was killing once. And face to face he couldn't do it. That's the trouble with people like you, said Once, getting up. "'You're always against anything attempted for the betterment of mankind, "'but you never have any proper plans of your own. "'Guards! Guards!' he grinned maniacally at Vimes. "'Didn't expect that, did you?' he said. "'We've still got guards here, you know. "'Not so many, of course. Not many people want to come in.' "'There were footsteps in the passage outside, "'and four of the palace guards padded in, swords drawn.' "'I wouldn't put up a fight if I were you,' Once went on. "'They're desperate and uneasy men, but very highly paid.' "'Vimes said nothing. Once was a gloater. "'You always stood a chance with gloaters. "'The old patrician had never been a gloater. "'You could say that for him. "'If he wanted you dead, you never even heard about it. "'The thing to do with gloaters was play the game according to the rules. "'You'll never get away with it,' he said. ''You're right, you're absolutely right, but never is a long time,'' said once. ''None of us get away with anything for that long.'' ''You shall have some time to reflect on this,'' he said, and nodded to the guards. ''Throw him in the special dungeon, and then go about that other little task.'' "Um," said the leader of the guards, and hesitated. ''What's the matter, man?'' ''You, um want us to attack him?'' said the guard miserably. Thick though the palace guard were, they were as aware as everyone else of the conventions, and when guards are summoned to deal with one man in overheated circumstances, it's not a good time for them. The buggers bound to be heroic, he was thinking. This guard was not looking forward to a future in which he was dead. Of course, you idiot! But um, there's only one of him, said the guard captain. And he's smiling, said a man behind him. ''Probably going to swing on the chandeliers any minute,'' said one of his colleagues, ''and kick over the table and that.'' ''He's not even armed,'' shrieked once. ''Worst kind, that,'' said one of the guards with deep stoicism. ''They leap up, see, and grab one of the ornamental swords behind the shield over the fireplace.'' ''Yeah,'' said another suspiciously, ''and then they chucks a chair at you.'' ''There's no fireplace, there's no sword, there's only him, now take him!'' screamed once. A couple of guards grabbed Vimes tentatively by the shoulders. "'You're not going to do anything heroic, are you?' whispered one of them. "'Wouldn't know where to start,' he said. "'Oh, right.' As Vimes was hauled away, he heard Once breaking into insane laughter. "'They always did, you gloaters.' But he was correct about one thing. Vimes didn't have a plan. He hadn't thought much about what was going to happen next.' He'd been a fool, he told himself, to think that you just had a confrontation, and that was the end of it. He also wondered what the other task was. The palace guards said nothing, but stared straight ahead and marched him down across the ruined hall and through the wreckage of another corridor to an ominous door. They opened it, threw him in, and marched away and no one, absolutely no one, noticed the thin, leaf-like thing that floated gently down from the shadows of the roof, tumbling over and over in the air like a sycamore seed, before landing in the tangled ewe of the horde. It was a peanut shell. It was the silence that awoke Lady Ramkin. Her bedroom looked out over the dragon pens, and she was used to sleeping to the susuration of rustling scales, the occasional roar of a dragon flaming in its sleep and the keening of the gravid females. Absence of any sound at all was like an alarm clock. She had cried a bit before going to sleep, but not much, because it was no use being soppy and letting the side down. She lit the lamp, pulled on her rubber boots, grabbed the stick which might be all that stood between her and theoretical loss of virtue, and hurried down through the shadowy house. As she crossed the damp lawn to the kennels, she was vaguely aware that something was happening down in the city, but dismissed it as not currently worth thinking about. Dragons were more important. She pushed open the door. Well, they were still there. The familiar stink of swamp dragons, half pond mud and half chemical explosion, gusted out into the night. Each dragon was balancing on its hind legs in the centre of its pen, neck arched, staring with ferocious intensity at the roof. Oh, she said, flying around up there again, is it? Showing off. Don't you worry about it, children. Mummy's here. She put the lamp on a high shelf and stamped along to Errol's pen. Well now, my lad, she began and stopped. Errol was stretched out on his side. A thin plume of grey smoke was drifting from his mouth and his stomach expanded and contracted like a bellows and his skin from the neck down was an almost pure white. I think if I ever rewrite diseases, you'll get a whole chapter all to yourself, she said quietly, and unbolted the gate of the pen. Let's see if that nasty temperature's gone down now, shall we? She reached out to stroke his skin and gasped. She pulled the hand back hurriedly and watched the blisters form on her fingertips. Errol was so cold he burned. As she stared at him, the small round marks that her warmth had melted filmed over with frozen air. Lady Ramkin sat back on her haunches. "'Just what kind of a dragon are you?' she began. There was the distant sound of a knock at the front door of the house. She hesitated for a moment, then blew out the lamp, crept heavily along the length of the kennels, and pulled aside the scrap of sacking over the window. The first light of dawn showed her the silhouette of a guardsman on her doorstep, the plumes of his helmet blowing in the breeze. She bit her lip in panic, scuttled back to the door, fled across the lawn and dived into the house, taking the stairs three at a time. "'Stupid, stupid!' she muttered, realising the lamp was back downstairs. But no time for that. By the time she went and got it, Vimes might have gone away. Working by feel and memory in the gloom, she found her best wig and rammed it on her head. Somewhere among the ointments and dragon remedies on her dressing table was something called, as far as she could remember, Dew of the Night.' or some such unsuitable name, a present long ago from a thoughtless nephew. She tried several bottles before she found something that, by the smell of it, was probably the one. Even to a nose which had long ago shut down most of its sensory apparatus in the face of the overpoweringness of dragons, it seemed, well, more potent than she remembered. But apparently men liked that kind of thing, or so she had read. Damn nonsense, really. She twitched the top hem of her suddenly far too sensible nightshirt into a position which she hoped, revealed without actually exposing, and hurried back down the stairs. She stopped in front of the door, took a deep breath, twisted the handle, and realised, even as she pulled the door open, that she should have taken the rubber boots off. "'Why, Captain,' she said winsomely, "'this is a who-the-hell-are-you?' The head of the palace guard took several steps backwards, and, because he was a peasant stock, made a few surreptitious signs to ward off evil spirits. They clearly didn't work. When he opened his eyes again, the thing was still there, still bristling with rage, still reeking of something sickly and fermented, still crowned with a skewed mass of curls, still looming behind a quivering bosom that made the roof of his mouth go dry. He'd heard about these sort of things. Harpies they were called. What had it done with Lady Ramkin? The sight of the rubber boots had him confused, though. Legends about harpies were short on references to rubber boots. "'Out with it, fellow!' Lady Ramkin boomed, hitching up her nightie to a more respectable neckline. "'Don't just stand there opening and shutting your mouth. What do you want?' "'Lady Sybil Ramkin,' said the guard, not in the polite way of someone seeking mere confirmation, but in the incredulous tones of someone who found it very hard to believe the answer could be yes. "'Use your eyes, young man. Who d'ye think I am?' The guard pulled himself together. "'Only I've got a summons for Lady Sybil Ramkin,' he said uncertainly. "'Her voice was withering. "'What do you mean, a summons?' "'To attend upon the palace, you see.' "'I can't imagine why that is necessary at this time in the morning,' she said, "'and made to slam the door. "'It wouldn't shut, though, because of the sword-point jammed into it at the last moment. "'If you don't come,' said the guard, I have been ordered to take steps. The door shot back and her face pressed against his, almost knocking him unconscious with the scent of rotting rose petals. If you think you'll lay one hand on me, she began. The guard's glance darted sideways just for a moment, to the dragon kennels. Sybil Ramkin's face went pale. You wouldn't, she hissed. He swallowed. "'Fearsome though she was, she was only human. "'She could only bite your head off, metaphorically. "'There were, he told himself, far worse things than Lady Ramkin, "'although, admittedly, they weren't three inches from his nose "'at this point in time. "'Take steps,' he repeated in a croak. "'She straightened up and eyed the row of guards behind him. "'I see,' she said coldly. "'That's the way, is it? Six of you to fetch one feeble woman.' "'Very well, you will, of course, allow me to fetch a coat. "'It is somewhat chilly.' "'She slammed the door. "'The palace guards stamped their feet in the cold "'and tried not to look at one another. "'This obviously wasn't the way you went around arresting people. "'They weren't allowed to keep you waiting on the doorstep. "'This wasn't the way the world was supposed to work. "'On the other hand, the only alternative was to go in there and drag her out. "'And it wasn't one anyone could summon up enthusiasm for. "'Besides, the guard captain wasn't sure he had enough men "'to drag Lady Ramkin anywhere.' "'You'd need teams of thousands with log-rollers.' "'The door creaked open again, revealing only the musty darkness of the hall within. "'Right, men,' said the captain, uneasily. "'Lady Ramkin appeared. "'He got a brief blurred vision of her bounding through the doorway, screaming, "'and it might well have been the last thing he remembered "'if a guard hadn't had the presence of mind to trip her up "'as she hurtled down the steps.' She plunged forward, cursing, ploughed into the overgrown lawn, hit her head on a crumbling statue of an antique ramkin, and slid to a halt. The double-handed broadsword she had been holding landed beside her, bolt upright, and vibrated to a standstill. After a while, one of the guards crept forward cautiously and tested the blade with his finger. "'Bloody hell," he said in a voice of mixed horror and respect. "'And the dragon wants to eat her?' "'Fits the bill,' said the captain. "'She's got to be the highest-born lady in the city. "'I don't know about maiden,' he added. "'And right at this minute I'm not going to speculate. "'Someone go and fetch a cart.' "'He fingered his ear, which had been nicked by the tip of the sword. "'He was not by nature an unkind man, "'but at this moment he was certain that he would prefer the thickness of a dragon's hide "'between himself and Sybil Ramkin when she woke up. ''Weren't we supposed to kill a pet dragons, sir?'' said another guard. ''I thought Mr. Once said something about killing all the dragons.'' ''That was just a threat we were supposed to make,'' said the captain. The guard's brow furrowed. ''You sure, sir?'' ''I thought.'' The captain had had enough of this. Screaming harpies and broadswords making a noise like tearing silk in the air beside him had severely ruined his capacity for seeing the other fellow's point of view oh you thought did you he growled a thinker are you do you think you'd be suitable for another posting then city guard maybe they're full of thinkers they are there was an uncomfortable titter from the rest of the guards if you'd thought added the captain sarcastically you'd have thought that the king is hardly going to want other dragons dead is he "'They're probably distant relatives or something. "'I mean, it wouldn't want us to go around killing its own kind, would it?' "'Well, sir, people do, sir,' said the guard sulkily. "'Ah. Well,' said the captain, "'that's different.' He tapped the side of his helmet meaningfully. "'That's cause we're intelligent.' "'Vimes landed in damp straw and also in pitch darkness.' although after a while his eyes became accustomed to the gloom and he could make out the walls of the dungeon. It hadn't been built for gracious living. It was basically just a space containing all the pillars and arches that supported the palace. At the far end a small grill high on the wall let in a mere suspicion of grubby second-hand light. There was another square hole in the floor. It was also barred. The bars were quite rusty, though, It occurred to Vimes that he could probably work them loose eventually, and then all he would have to do was slim down enough to go through a nine-inch hole. What the dungeon did not contain was any rats, scorpions, cockroaches or snakes. It had once contained snakes, it was true, because Vimes' sandals crunched on small, long, white skeletons. He crept cautiously along one damp wall, wondering where a rhythmic scraping sound was coming from. He rounded a squat pillar and found out. The patrician was shaving, squinting into a scrap of mirror, propped against the pillar to catch the light. No, Vimes realised not propped, supported, in fact, by a rat. It was a large rat with red eyes. The patrician nodded to him without apparent surprise. Oh, he said, Vimes, isn't it? I heard you were on the way down. Jolly good. You had better tell the kitchen staff. And here Vimes realised that the man was speaking to the rat. "'That there will be two for lunch. "'Would you like a beer, Vimes?' "'What?' said Vimes. "'I imagine you would. "'Pot luck, though, I'm afraid. "'Scripps, people, are bright enough, "'but they seem to have a bit of a blind spot "'when it comes to labels on bottles.' "'Lord Vetinari patted his face with a towel "'and dropped it on the floor. "'A grey shape darted from the shadows "'and dragged it away down the floor-grill.' Then he said, ''Very well, Scrup, you may go.'' The rat twitched its whiskers at him, leaned the mirror against the wall and trotted off. ''You're waited on by rats,'' said Vimes. ''They help out, you know. They're not really very efficient, I'm afraid. It's their paws.'' ''But, uh, but, but,'' said Vimes, ''I mean, how?'' ''I suspect Scrupp's people have tunnels that extend into the university.'' Lord Vetinari went on, although I think they were probably pretty bright to start with. At least Vimes understood that bit. It was well known that thaumic radiations affected animals living around the Unseen University campus, sometimes prodding them towards minute analogues of human civilization and even mutating some of them into entirely new and specialized species, such as the 303 bookworm and the wallfish. And as the man said, rats were quite bright to start with. ''But they're helping you,'' said Vimes. ''Mutual. It's mutual. Payment for services rendered, you might say,'' said the patrician, sitting down on what Vimes couldn't help noticing was a small velvet cushion. On a low shelf, so as to be handy, were a notepad and a neat row of books. ''How can you help rats, sir?'' he said weakly. ''Advice. I advise them, you know.'' "'The patrician leaned back. "'That's the trouble with people like wants,' he said. "'They never know when to stop. "'Rats, snakes and scorpions. "'It was sheer bedlam in here when I came. "'The rats were getting the worst of it, too. "'And Vimes thought he was beginning to get the drift. "'You mean you sort of trained them?' he said. "'Advised, advised. "'I suppose it's a knack,' said Lord Vetinari modestly. Vimes wondered how it was done. Did the rats side with the scorpions against the snakes, and then when the snakes were beaten, invite the scorpions to a celebratory slap-up meal and eat them? Or were individual scorpions hired with the large amounts of um, whatever it was scorpions ate to sidle up to selected leading snakes at night and sting them? He remembered hearing once about a man who, locked up in a cell for years, trained little birds and created a sort of freedom and he thought of ancient sailors shorn of the sea by old age and infirmity, who spend their days making big ships in little bottles. Then he thought of the patrician, robbed of his city, sitting cross-legged on the grey floor in the dim dungeon, and recreating it around him, encouraging in miniature all the little rivalries, power struggles, and factions. He thought of him as a sombre, brooding statue amid paving stones, alive with slinking shadows and sudden political death. It had probably been easier than ruling Ankh, which had larger vermin, who didn't have to use both hands to carry a knife. There was a clink over by the drain. Half a dozen rats appeared, dragging something wrapped in a cloth. They rat-handled it past the grill, and with great effort hauled it to the patrician's feet. He leaned down and undid the knot. "'We seem to have uh, cheese, chicken legs, celery, a piece of rather stale bread— And a nice bottle, oh, a nice bottle, apparently, of Merkel and Stingbat's very famous brown sauce. Beer, I said, scrip. The leading rat twitched its nose at him. Sorry about this, Vimes. They can't read, you see. They don't seem to get the hang of the concept. But they're very good at listening. They bring me all the news. I see you're very comfortable in here, said Vimes weakly. "'Never build a dungeon you wouldn't be happy to spend the night in yourself,' said the patrician, "'laying out the food on the cloth. "'The world would be a happier place if more people remembered that. "'We all thought you had built sacred tuddles and such like,' said Vimes. "'Can't imagine why,' said the patrician. "'One would have to keep on running. "'So inefficient. "'Whereas here I am at the hub of things. "'I hope you understand that, Vimes.' Never trust any ruler who puts his faith in tunnels and bunkers and escape routes. The chances are that his heart isn't in his job. Oh, he's in a dungeon in his own palace with a raving lunatic in charge upstairs and a dragon burning the city, and he thinks he's got the world where he wants it. It must be something about high office. The altitude sends people mad. You uh, don't mind if I have a look around, do you? he said. "'Feel free!' said the patrician. "'Vimes paced the length of the dungeon and checked the door. "'It was heavily barred and bolted, and the lock was massive. "'Then he tapped the walls in what might possibly be hollow places. "'There was no doubt that it was a well-built dungeon. "'It was the kind of dungeon you'd feel good about having dangerous criminals put in. "'Of course, in those circumstances, you'd prefer there to be no trapdoors, "'hidden tunnels or secret ways of escape. "'These weren't those circumstances.' "'It was amazing what several feet of solid stone did to your sense of perspective.' "'Do guards come in here?' he demanded. "'Hardly ever,' said the patrician, waving a chicken leg. "'They don't bother about feeding me, you see. "'The idea is that one should mould. "'In fact,' he said, "'up till recently I used to go to the door and groan a bit every now and then "'just to keep them happy.' "'They're bound to come in and check, though,' said Vimes, hopefully.' Oh, I don't think we should tolerate that, said the patrician. How are you going to prevent them? Lord Vetinari gave him a pained look. My dear, Vimes, he said, I thought you were an observant man. Did you look at the door? Of course I did, said Vimes, and added, Sir, it's bloody massive. Perhaps you should have another look. Vimes gaped at him. "'and then stamped across the floor and glared at the door. "'It was one of the popular dread-portal variety, "'all bars and bolts and iron spikes and massive hinges. "'No matter how long he looked at it, it didn't become any less massive. "'The lock was one of those dwarfish-made buggers that it'd take years to pick. "'All in all, if you had to have a symbol for something totally immovable, "'that door was your man.' "'The patrician appeared alongside him in heart-stopping silence. "'You see,' he said, "'It's always the case, is it not, that should a city be overtaken by violent civil unrest, "'the current ruler is thrown into the dungeons. "'To a certain type of mind that is so much more satisfying than mere execution.' "'Well, okay, but I don't see,' Vimes began. "'And you look at this door, and what you see is a really strong cell door, yes?' Of course, you've only got to look at the bolts and, you know, I'm really rather pleased, said Lord Vetinari quietly. Vimes stared at the door until his eyebrows ached, and then, just as random patterns in clouds suddenly, without changing in any way, become a horse's head or a sailing ship, he saw what he'd been looking at all along. A sense of terrifying admiration came over him. He wondered what it was like in the patrician's mind, all cold and shiny, he thought, all blued steel and icicles and little wheels clicking along like a huge clock, the kind of mind that would carefully consider its own downfall and turn it to an advantage. It was a perfectly normal dungeon door, but it all depended on your sense of perspective. In this dungeon, the patrician could hold off the world. All that was on the outside was the lock, "'All the bolts and bars were on the inside.'